Perfect. All right, there we go. So uh, thanks for lots of grace for that as we get that uh, working and, and uh, get everyone trained uh, on that. Now as we move uh, in the month of December and as we prepare our hearts uh, in the season of Advent with hope and anticipation, here at Jericho we're going to stay rooted in a single gospel in two chapters in the book of Luke. Uh, and we're going to look at how the Christmas story is told by Luke. And we're going to see in Luke's gospel that he actually weaves together in the midst of the Christmas narrative four songs by four different individuals. And so our Advent series is appropriately titled for this year, The Songs of Christmas. And this morning we're going to look in Luke chapter 1. And Luke in his story actually begins... Uh, the Christmas tale in a very, very unlikely place. He doesn't begin it with uh, baby Jesus. He doesn't begin it with a focus on Mary and Joseph. He doesn't begin it with a focus on any of those things that you might see gathered at the stable or in your manger scene or in your creche. He actually begins it with a unique story about the sound of silence. And as we jump in, I want to uh, ask you to reflect a little bit on the notion of silence and ask, what's the longest time that you can remember that you've gone without speaking? The longest time that you've gone in silence. Now, some of you are extroverts and you're thinking to yourselves, I did two minutes. Is that good? If I didn't speak for two minutes, is that, uh, should I get a badge or a prize or something? Uh, but maybe for you it was something else, like a longer, like a hiking trip or a hunting trip. Maybe you went for days without speaking, or maybe it was longer. Uh, maybe you were mad at someone and you weaponized silence against them and said, I'm not speaking to you for a period of time. Uh, and so uh, when I think about being silent, my mind goes back to when we were growing up. And my parents actually, now looking back on this, I realized that they tricked us. But what they did is if they wanted us to be quiet, they would make it into a game. And they would say things like, um, let's do uh, a monk's meal. Have you ever heard of this, a monk's meal? Okay, some of you maybe. So uh, at a monastery, if you've ever been to a monastery and you go and participate in a communal meal, quite often, depending on the tradition, the monastic tradition that that particular monastery is a part of, you will eat in complete silence. And so my parents said to us, hey, let's pretend we're all monks for this meal, and we'll like see if we can get through it with nobody talking at all, because they knew that in order to get us to do things like this, they had to turn it into a competition, because we're a little more competitive in our family, and so uh, they should say, they would say things like, okay, today we're going to make it a monk's meal, we'll see who can make it all the way through talking, without talking. Now, I have tried this with my kids, and it doesn't work. Uh, I don't know whether it's a generational thing or whether my kids lack any context for the monastic tradition and appreciative of Benedictine monks. Uh, I don't know whether my kids are just inherently louder than I was growing up, but it just seems that silence in our world today is at a premium. It's very difficult to actually, even if you're completely quiet yourself, to not actually in our world have ambient noise coming from somewhere, either externally or even internal noise. It's hard to get quiet in your own heart and in your spirit. And Zechariah has this challenge as well. 
And it's because of his own personal unbelief we see in Luke chapter 1 that he enters into his own journey of silence for nine months. We had the Advent reading which read that text for us. Imagine not speaking for nine months. Maybe his wife was excited about it. I don't know. But we also come to understand that because people had to gesture to him, it was likely that he wasn't able to hear either for nine months. And so he gets his own spirit of silence, his own experience of silence for nine months. Maybe for you, if you have toddlers at home, you've just added something to your wish list for Christmas. Hun, what I need from you is nine months of no speaking, and I'm not going to be listening for nine months to you. But this is Zachariah's experience, and it's the first of the themes of his song, actually, the theme of silence. Now, I can imagine nine minutes of silence. I can imagine nine hours, even nine days of silence. But nine months of silence is something different. I picture Zachariah having to work this through a little bit in his own life. I wonder if he started where I started. I usually start when I make a mistake about something. So the angel comes to him, you'll remember, and then he's rebuked for his unbelief. And so maybe he started with a, a process of kind of being hard on himself and self-flagellation and saying, oh, I knew it. I should listen to that angel. Why did I open my big mouth, stupid Zachariah? I'm going to be silent for nine months on this. You can't tell yourself that for nine months. So after you move past that, I wonder if Zechariah actually came to a place of peace with his internal and external world. Because by the time we pick up Zechariah's story in Luke chapter 1, verse 57, we see that something happened to him in this time of silence. Silence did its work in Zechariah, not only in his body, but also in his soul. I love the way that Richard Foster talks about silence and talks about seeing and experiencing silence and seeking out silence actually as a discipline and as a part of our spiritual experience because of what it does to our souls. In his book, The Freedom of Simplicity, Foster writes this. He says, silence actually does something. It frees us from the need to control others. One reason we can hardly bear to remain silent is that it makes us feel so helpless. See, we're accustomed to using words to and relying upon words to manage and control other people. A frantic stream of words flows out from us in attempt to straighten others out. We want so desperately for them to agree with us, to see things our way. We evaluate people, we judge people, we condemn people, we devour people with our words. And silence is one of the deepest disciplines of the spirit simply because it puts a stopper on that. When we become quiet enough, Foster says, to let go of people, we learn compassion for them because we can be with people in their hurt and in their need and we can speak a word out of our inner silence that can actually set other people free. The scriptures bear witness to this in multiple places. In Psalm 46, verse 10, it says, for example, be still 
be quiet, be silent in your spirit, in your heart, and know that I am God. See, in his silence, Zechariah actually learned praise. We see that he moves from being a skeptic to being a singer. And the challenge that I want to put out for you this month is around this issue of silence. Because I don't know what your December looks like, but oftentimes my December feels like it gets noisier and noisier and noisier with all of the volume of events and conversations and things that get pushed through the system in the month of December. It's hard to actually get and find quiet. But try to make it a discipline, or whatever that would look like for you, to just get alone with God and be quiet. Make a commitment to being still in some way. Maybe for you, that's on your drive uh, to work or to school. Instead of flipping the radio on right away, maybe just take that opportunity to be quiet and listen to God. Maybe spend time praying. Or if it's nice outside, Maybe you walk the kids to school and on the way home, just take a little bit of time and pause and walk a long way around and just experience some silence and some stillness and being with God in nature. Don't rush into your to-do list for the day. Deep, soulful things have a difficult time happening in our lives when things are loud and noisy and cacophonous all around us and when we're rushing through our lives. This is a very difficult discipline for us to actually embed into our lives. One way I'm learning to practice this is in our house we have a programmable coffee maker and so we will uh, put that on in the mornings and let it go. And so I'm trying to make it a discipline that in my own life in the morning that from the time the coffee maker goes on until the time that the coffee is ready, that's the time when I'm just silent. And so I don't have my Bible out yet. I don't get any books out to read or anything like that. I just sit for that 13 minutes and 47 seconds that it takes for the coffee to get ready. And I'm just quiet. It's challenging. But it's a worthwhile way to engage in the day because it just reorients my heart in a totally different way before I actually engage in the Scripture and before I pray and before I get that first cup of coffee into my hands. So try something. Try something different this December around a discipline of silence. Don't go radical like nine months for Zechariah. But try nine seconds, try nine minutes, see what you can work yourself up to in that. It's the first theme we see in Zechariah's story. But we're going to look at the text and see what's his song and his prophetic utterance all about. Because there's two other themes there that I want to highlight for us today. Zechariah's song is traditionally known as the Benedictus. And I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 1, reading verses 67 uh, through to verse 79 in this. Verse 67 starts and says, Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he gave this prophecy. 
Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited, he has redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies, from all who hate us. God has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and in righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, you will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord and you will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us into the path of peace. It's intriguing to me that most of Zechariah's song is actually not about his son, John. It's about Jesus, God's son. And what struck me when I read Zechariah's song was the theme of strength that came through. Zechariah says again and again, God just didn't send us a savior. He sent us a mighty savior. The savior was a deliverer. The savior was mighty and strong to save, to rescue, to redeem. And Zechariah focuses on this second theme of strength in his song, the strength of God's promises. When God says, I will do this, it's done. When God says that he will accomplish it, he, it is finished. And I'm struck by the fact that Zechariah is so confident in God's work that he actually writes his song in the past tense. That God's promises and his actions, even though they've not been fully realized, in verse 74, Zechariah says, we have been rescued. Not we will be rescued, we have been rescued. Notice that nothing has changed circumstantially for Zechariah in his world. But he is so confident in God's saving work that it is good as done for him. See, this, friends, is the actual definition of faith. In, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the writer of Hebrews says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. Faith is an assurance about things that we cannot yet see. And Zechariah's Christmas chorus reminds us that God is faithful to his promises. Even though we might not see that in our lifetime, even though it might not take longer to come to fulfillment than you or I might like. This is why author and pastor John Piper reminds us of the fact that from the mind of faith, a promised act of God is as good as done. When God says he will do it, he will do it. God is strong and able to keep his word and his promises. His promises to you, his promises to us, 
his promises to his people throughout history. And I love how Zechariah's understanding of God's strength is not just a passive understanding. Zechariah understands and reflects back to us that God's strength in his work in our world is not only defensive for protection, but also offensive to rescue us. And we see this theme repeated not only in Zechariah's prophecy, but also throughout the Old Testament. The writer of Psalms says it this way in Psalm chapter 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. So there's the defensive. He is my shield, defensive, but he is also the power that saves me, offensive. God is my place of safety, the power that saves. Zechariah's prophecy is about the strength of God's redeeming work in your life and in mine and in our world. But what does that actually look like for us? Well, some of you today might feel, as you come into the month of December, a sense of dread and being overwhelmed by life. I mean, things might look okay on the outside for you, but inside you might be consumed with fear and worry and anxiety about any number of things. Could be finances, could be stressful situations in your world, maybe health challenges that are in front of you or a family member. Maybe family dynamics that you have to navigate in this season. Maybe a work situation that isn't getting better no matter how much you pray about it and you've been working at it and struggling through and thinking about what this month is going to look like for you. You've been sapped of strength, maybe lost sleep over it. See, in Zechariah's prophecy, he reminds us again that God's strength is able to both defend us and guard our hearts and also protect and rescue us from the things that we find ourselves faced with. Maybe what you need in Zechariah's language is, is a visitation from the Lord. You need redemption and rescue. And so that's one of the reasons why here at Jericho, when we have our uh, prayer response team available, is that we want to join you in that process and stand with you. Maybe it's something that you need uh, us to stand defensively in prayer for and say, God, would you protect our friend's heart from fear and anxiety and worry? Maybe it's something that you need some offensive prayer for and say, God, would you rescue and protect and move in a mighty and powerful way in this situation. You see, Zachariah knew and experienced both things. Remember, when we first met him, he was a skeptic. He didn't believe that God could do what God promised that he said he would do. But then he saw God move in his own life, in his own personal circumstances and situations to demonstrate his salvation. And that built faith in Zachariah's heart to see God's strength could break through in other areas of need beyond his own personal world. And so there's an image that occupies Zechariah's mind here. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 69. He says, and it's a funny phrase, he says that God is like a horn of salvation, or God will raise up a horn 
of salvation. Now, when we hear the phrase horn, we think of something like this, a horn. But in Zechariah's song, he's thinking of a very, very different kind of horn, a, a horn or strength of salvation more like this. See, <clears throat> I grew up in a farming community in northern BC, and we'd go and visit and help out with different, uh, my uncle had a farm, and we'd go and help him and visit friends and family on a farm. And uh, farms, they do have lots of cute and cuddly things on them uh, that come to petting zoos, little sheep and goats and all kinds of chickens and cute little things like this. But there are things on a farm that you do not mess with. And this is one of them. You do not mess with a large bull with large horns. They can hurt you very, very badly. And so you, you operate with a different sense of reverence and respect when you're anywhere in proximity to that animal. It's not hard to imagine when you're... There's a purpose to it. So that, he says, we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And so, yes, one of the goals of coming into a right relationship with God is forgiveness 
and freedom. Look at verse 77. Zacharias says, the goal of the coming of Jesus is to help people find salvation through forgiveness of sins. So very clear that John's role, John the baptizer's role, will be the declaration of this message of salvation, that people can find it through Messiah, through the work of Jesus, because God's tender mercy on those who live in the shadow of death is coming, and that they can find, as one of the carols that we often sing in the month of December, light and life to all he brings. And so that you can know peace through Jesus is the message of Christmas and a message of hope. And friend, if you're here today and you've not experienced that amazing gift, today might be your day. We sang it already. What joy, what hope, what confidence can be found in the name of the Lord. And that means that's a person who's in right relationship with God, who's rescued him from their sins. They've been forgiven. They've been rescued from the consequences of wrongs done to you and by you. And that's an invitation that's open for you here today. And maybe you want to take opportunity of that. And before you leave here today, to say yes to Jesus. Now, some of you today here are here, and you've said yes to that invitation. And the question still remains, and well, why did God save me? What should I be doing with whatever amount of time I have left? And the answer is in Zechariah's song. We have been rescued so that we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. So one of the goals of your salvation is sacrificial service. Or as Brad reflected out to us, one of our core values is global and local or global service. So friends, we have been saved for a purpose, and that purpose is to serve. To serve others around us that God has called us into relationship with. So for some of you, this will be serving them in your neighborhood and in your school, serving family members, driving them to chemo appointments and sitting with them, praying for them. Some of you serve well by giving time and money to various causes. Some of you serve by praying faithfully. And I love the creativity that we see here at Jericho with the, the diversity of ways in which people serve. It's reflective of First uh, Peter 4, verse 10, which says this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts, and so use them well. Use them well to serve one another. And that's why it's one of our core values here at Jericho, and why today we wanted to, uh, again, help remind us of some of the ways in which we serve. And so I want to uh, feature one of those today, and I'm going to ask Kim if she would come up Kim is the director uh, here in Langley at the House of Hope. And many of you have heard us talk through the course of this year about times and opportunities where uh, we've had to serve together down at the House of Hope. And they're one of our local ministry partners here in Langley. And so we thought it would be a great opportunity for you to get to know a little bit about the House of Hope more personally. And so we've got some pictures we're going to run uh, in the background of just some times that Jericho's been on site serving there, but maybe you haven't had the opportunity to be down there serving with us. And so, uh, Kim, we wanted you to just come and explain a little bit about to us about what that looks like at House of Hope 
and uh, how people can kind of get engaged there and kind of how does the service that Jericho does down at House of Hope really help the mission that you guys have been called to? with a bunch of women on all this big, huge property. And it's large, and there's lots to be done on our property. Um, what's been really, really great is uh, you guys came, geez, that was really, in 2014, we came with Mike, and a youth group came, and they began to just serve us and help us, and it was so amazing. And then Tyler caught wind of it, and Mike moved on, and Tyler went, okay, let's bring Remax, and they came. And, and then Tyler caught on again this and invited you all to participate in the early spring. And then you've been coming every month um, since May, I believe. What's been so amazing is that you help us in so many ways. We have 55 acres. We're a bunch of women who actually don't have a lot of men on property. In fact, we have no men on property. And <laughs> actually, we, we, have a, we have a handyman who comes, and we do have some support that comes from Wagner Hills once in a while as well. But we really need a lot of help. And we just, there's lots of projects. This has been a piece of property that has been serving the community in Langley since the early 40s. It's, we are actually get to partner with BC Housing. So we get to partner with a government organization, government, with a Christian organization to bring healing and freedom and breakthrough to women. And that's amazing that that would even be taking place. We have a 23-year lease on this property. We believe in it so much that we were willing to our donors and people were willing to build a brand new building for our facility and just in 23 years it's gone it's not ours it goes back to the government but that doesn't matter because it's all about god's kingdom and this property is all about serving the marginalized in many many ways and um so house of hope is this place where we believe that women are going to be empowered and set free where they are being empowered and set free where we were a one-year program in that period of time that I've been the director for about 15 months, what we've seen is we've changed the way we actually approach addiction and recovery. Most addiction and recovery centers were external management. So it's we will control you and manage your behavior. When you learn how to manage yourself, then you will be set free or you'll get healing and we'll give you knowledge and information and you're gonna learn how to get healed. It doesn't quite work very well. You need more of an experience. And so we've been very, excited to have the Holy Spirit partner with every single woman and and bring a peace on the property and to help women learn to be empowered from the inside out and how to allow God to come and bring that healing and how for them to come to realize that they are unique individuals, every single woman, that God has created a destiny and wrapped them around it. And so they have a destiny, they have a purpose, they have lots of value and there's many things that they've been called to do and Sometimes what has happened is those that have been called to some of the greatest leadership roles and the greatest movement roles are the ones that have been attacked from the time they're little, little. And they have just been shattered in so many ways. And so 
There's something that has happened in North America, and we have something that's destroying women and men, and it's addiction and recovery and mental addiction, drugs, alcohol, mental illness, and it is destroying women from being who they were called to be, and we want to bring freedom, and so we've just been partnering with that. You guys have been partnering by helping us. You've come and you've, you've upgraded. The most recent project you did is you upgraded one of our cottages by painting it on the, in the inside, and it made such a huge difference. The women are like, whoa, it doesn't feel so dingy or it doesn't feel so dark. It just feels bright and life. You're, bringing, you're helping us to reveal to the women that they're valuable and they're worthy. Our property was a little bit run down. There's just, there just some things that were going on, and so we've been able to, through your help, to upgrade all sorts of things, to brighten things up, to clear away a whole bunch of crud that had been accumulated on the property. Um, so this has been a, a ministry that has struggled in a lot of ways to slowly build itself. And we weren't necessarily outreaching to the community for help. We were trying to do it ourselves on some level. And it's just God doesn't work that way. <laughs> and so, so Mike started the process. And since then, that was my first task was to partner with Mike. My very, very first part task for House of Hope was to partner with Mike and to open up and reach out to the community in that way. And so I just thank you because you've actually opened the doors in so many ways. The seed of what you've done has spilled over to other churches, to other organizations. And as of like September 30th, God's just come along and said, hey, we believe in you and we trust in you. And he's just pouring out his resources in partnership with people and organizations and stuff like that. And that's exciting for us. You guys are coming to us in the end of February, I believe. You're going to come join us for church at our place. You're going to do church. <laughs> we'll provide the facility. We'll work that out. We'll figure that out. But we're actually really excited to have you come. We've had that happen a couple other times, and it's just a delight. We have a large facility. There will be enough room for all of you to be there. You can come and experience our cows. So cows, we have a big mama. She has horns. We go into the field and we wrestle her. <laughs> We're careful. Um, we actually just we, we bring out some bread and they follow us like puppy dogs. Um, so you're... So there are some projects that we're looking for some help with. There's some more upgrades to the cottages we'd like to do. I'd love to take and um, we at this point have 10 rooms. We need to actually increase the number of rooms so that each resident can have their own individual room. We used to be a double occupancy, but that doesn't work for women. Women need their own space. And when you're going through deep trauma and deep healing, and that's the difference with us. We have a certified counselor with a master's degree, and we do trauma therapy. And so that's part of our program. So there's all these things we do a little bit differently because we want women to be set free and, and healed from that. Um, projects, is that what you're wanting for me? Do you need more? That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, what I want you guys to understand is that uh, this is a partnership, and we want you to be a part of it. And so we wanted you to get to know Kim a little bit, so it's not just a few of the leaders or people that go there that know Kim and get to know some of the women. And the thing that I deeply appreciate is that this is something, every time we come on site, that we're doing together. We're serving together with the House of Hope not just sort of coming in and doing something to them. We have a meal together, get to know and hear the stories of the women on site, and it's just such an encouragement 
to me and to many who have been on site there to really be able to partner with you guys in this way. So let's thank Kim for being with us. Okay. Thanks, Kim. And then make sure that you uh, take opportunity to spend time getting to know her and some of the women who are here this morning uh, in our time together. This is why simple acts of service can be significant. Because it's not just about painting the inside of a house or a cottage. It's about giving dignity to people. And this is what I love about so many, of how so many of you here at Jericho live your lives. There's just a natural outpouring of service that happens freely and frequently around this place. And it just brings joy to my heart to kind of see and witness the stories of it in so many different ways. Some of you are serving by going internationally. Next weekend, we're going to hear uh, from John and Anita McCarthy, and they're Jericho's 11th global mission partner in 11 years. And so that's part of where the People and Projects Guide can help you. And so part of the question I have for you is, where are you serving this December? Many of you are, are making intentional choices, things like ringing bells for two hours with the Salvation Army to raise money for people in our city who are homeless. Maybe today you want to connect with Kim and say, I have a skill set. Is there any way in this, this skill set could be used in the ministry that you have at House of Hope? Maybe you're linking up with a group at Jericho that's working on refugee sponsorship. You're going to talk to Nigel about that as they've had meetings and are working hard on that. Maybe you want to help out here at Jericho in some way. Our setup teams need your help. Kids at the Ridge, look, it's in your info sheet. There's so many creative ways to serve God by serving others. And it's part of our call and our duty as people of faith. And I love how Zachariah ends his song. He says that the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. The morning light from heaven, meaning the person and the work of Jesus, is about to visit us. The purpose of that visitation from God is to give light to those in darkness, to lead our feet into the paths of peace. And the team, uh, Jared and the team are going to come and lead us in songs that reflect and mirror those three themes in the song of Zechariah. And that first theme, remember, was silence. And so maybe for you today, you just say, I'm not going to sing. I just need to actually sit in quietness and ask God if there's things going on in my life that I need to tend to. Scripture says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and in trust is your strength. So maybe you need to spend time waiting, asking, seeking this morning. And so feel free to pray and do that. Maybe you just need to block off some time in your calendar uh, for silence this season. The second theme was strength. Where do you need God's strength to meet you today? Where does trust need to grow in your heart, in your life? Don't try and do that alone. There's no place more certain and sure to find strength in Christ. And we want to stand with you in that. And so uh, Anne-Marie and myself will be available at the side uh, to pray with you. And maybe again today will be your day where you've said, you know, I've never actually said yes to Jesus. I've never trusted him with my life. But maybe this is your day and you want to say, God, I'm actually yours. I need the salvation that you offer, the forgiveness of sins. I need to walk in newness of life. We'd love to pray with you for that.
And that last theme is a theme of salvation, a theme of thanksgiving, of declaration to God that because of God's greatness in our lives, that we desire to serve him in whatever ways that he is calling you to do. And so maybe you need to just reaffirm as a prayer and as a declaration, God, I'm yours. I give you my hands. I give you my feet. I give you my voice. I give you my very life. And so let's stand together and we're going to pray and we're going to sing and respond in worship. God, we thank you for the saving work that you do in our lives and in your world. We need for you to come. We need for you to come and touch our hearts, Holy Spirit. We need for you to come and move in our lives to grip us yet again with uh, a sense of awe and wonder, to grip us yet again with a sense of our fallenness and brokenness and how you are the one who comes into those places and brings light and brings life and calls us to serve with you. And so, Jesus, we pray that as we respond to you now, uh, that you would continue to stir up in each of our hearts a desire to move into places that you call us to serve and to love others. In the name of Jesus, who first loved us, we say, amen.